the editor-in-chief of the very athletic Bay Area, Tim Kawakami. Tim Kawakami, who has covered the NBA for over two decades. It's time now for the TK Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Everybody, Tim Kawakami here, TK Show, recording from the home studio. Very glad to have on my friend. He is. I'm currently watching him drive right now, so I'm a little, I'm a little worried. For, hope, hopefully, things are nice and safe. Pop, play-by-play voice of the San Francisco 49ers, can be our host. Many, many other things. Obviously, the top of his career uh, profile is co-host or hosting Chronicle Live. I remember that was just such a huge, huge ratings blockbuster. <laughs> Pop, how you doing today? Thanks for being on the show. I think you were on that show the most. It was you, Lowell Cohn, Monty Poole. Righto. I think we're probably the four that were most on that show, wouldn't you yes. say? Yes, I would agree with you. Uh, and a couple times, well, you had left by that time at the, the towards the end or whatever. I was on twice a week, Pop. There, how about that? Well, I went over in Giants pre and post and after Cohen sold, Warriors pre and post. But, and you know what our number one topic back in the day, even then? 49ers quarterbacks. Yes, it's always a topic. It's like people are telling me, like, you know what? The 49ers, now that they're in the news, it's like they're always in the news, and it's always about the quarterback. Uh, but first, well, you're you're always in on it. This is why we have you on. You were one of the first people to circle Brock Purdy last year. It was right about this time of year. It was when they had those joint practices against the Vikings. You noted that he was going to jump ahead of Nate Sudfeld, and he did. And that was, as I wrote today, it's like maybe the most important decision of 2022. They don't make that decision. A lot of other things unravel from there. Well, what are you seeing now? What, what's your sense of... We all know Brock Purdy is a starter. We know that Lance and Darnold are competing for quarterback two. You've got Brandon Allen there at four. But what do you see in two, three, four right now? I see depth. And I think because of the Brock injury and what, what a story it was. And this has been the history of the franchise, you know, from Frankie Albert to Y.A. Tittle to, you know, they traded Y.A. Tittle for John Brody and he became a Hall of Fame quarterback with the New York Giants. And, you know, throughout the years, obviously Joe and Steve, but when we were doing Chronicle Live, it was Alex versus Colin, and it just goes on and on. Um, so now we don't have a controversy here. It's just been a lot of injuries have created openings for guys, and obviously the drafting a tray. But Brock was just special. I, we could see it last year, and uh, when he got a chance to play after Trey got hurt and Jimmy got hurt, look at what he did. Uh, there was not a game where he started and finished. The Niners lost. He won every game, got knocked out of the championship game, couldn't finish it. So uh, in the offseason, you just didn't know what the nature of the UCL, uh, UCL repair was going to be. Uh, he had the surgery. It was delayed a little bit. It was supposed to be February 21st. It got done March the 10th. Um, and then he had the internal brace. So because of that, that was the Friday, Tim, if you recall, going into the start of the new league year on Monday. Mm-hmm and legal tampering period. And right after they got Javon Hargrave, they signed Sam Darnold because they were uncertain of Brock's elbow, just had surgery, and Trey coming off the ankle. So, and what a what a lucky break it was to get Sam. I've been a big fan of Sam's going back to USC, and I watched almost every one of his throws in the NFL. He threw a pick six on Monday Night Football's first ever throw, and then he battled back, and had a lot of injuries and weird illnesses, mononucleosis and everything. But he had the ability. I remember him playing against the 49ers the pandemic year 
rolling to his left, and they got blown out of the game, throwing a touchdown pass to Braxton Berrios, their slot guy, and it was just wow. This guy rolls to his left, and the athleticism. Anyways, they to me it was a very fortunate they could get Sam, and it was all based on where's Brock at health wise, where's Trey at, and then in May after the draft is over, they bring in Brandon Allen, so they've insulated themselves. Last year it unraveled because you started with with Trey, he got hurt. You went to Jimmy, he got hurt. You went to Brock, he got hurt. And now you're playing the title game with Josh Johnson. He gets hurt, and you don't have a quarterback that can throw. So now you're stacked up. They're way deeper than where they were. And Brock's undeniably the number one guy. If he stays healthy between now and Pittsburgh, and let's just hope he does, he's going to be the guy. There's no doubt. Um, and we talk a lot about the quarterback because it is the most important position in American sport. Um, that along with goalie and hockey and catcher, Patrick Bailey's proven that's a pretty important <laughs> position, baseball and buster. But, um, you know, but independent of the quarterback position, this roster is loaded. This is the deepest team. Or not, I wouldn't say deep. I would say, you know, starters, the sub packages on offense, you got to have 15 guys or so. And likewise on defense, we get into the nickel and the big nickel and all the subs. So, say the top 30 guys on the roster. I, I do want to see the depth be proven out over time. I'm a little more concerned about that because they've lost so many guys with their free agency in the offseason. But as far as the top 30, 15 on offense, 15 on defense, it's the best roster in the NFL. It's one of the best in the history of the 49er franchise. And uh, I also think they can win with any one of these four quarterbacks. And I would throw Brandon Allen into that. Hopefully you don't have to get there, but we've seen them have to get there in years past, so you've got to protect yourself. So they are much deeper than they were a year ago, and now they just got to figure out what's the pecking order going to be behind Brock. Do you think they brought Darnold in basically to, because they didn't feel that Lance was going to be their backup? I think they brought Sam in because they weren't sure Brock could start at the beginning of the year, and they, they uh, Trey had not been, been uh, cleared yet. You know, this was early in a surgery. He had an initial surgery after he heard it September the 19th. Tim, he had to have a follow-up yep. surgery on December the 30th, right before New Year's Day. So he was not yet fully cleared. So I think they didn't have a healthy quarterback on the roster. And they, they like Sam going back to the 18 draft. And I loved him coming out. Baker went first that year, and Buffalo wound up getting Josh Allen a few picks later. But uh sam is he's turned the ball over too much obviously and he's he's had a lot of you know missed time due to injury and illness but he's a capable guy they liked him back then i think he was the best available quarterback they could get at that time uh who's the starter i mean now you've got four guys that can start uh, i thought maybe matt ryan at early in the offseason but matt has options uh, he hasn't formally retired because he wants the 12 million dollars from ursay but he's gone to the TV. He's essentially retired. And it probably wasn't going to be a job he wanted to take. He's a former NFL MVP. His career's, you know, over on the back end where Sam's, he's 26. He's still growing. So I think they, they signed him because he was the best available quarterback that they could they could find on the street. And economically it worked. And their other two quarterbacks, Brock and Trey, who at that time were not healthy. If he beats out. Trey Lance, and I, I think you and I both think he's probably ahead right now, certainly after Sunday. 
Is that a problem for, you know, do you keep Trey Lance's three? Do you want to keep Trey Lance's three? Is Brandon Allen just better suited to be the three? You know, I understand there's more to this than, you know, uh, we're just lining up and it's the first day of football practice and we just pick four quarterbacks and uh, we, we go one, two, three, four, like they do in college football. I understand there's money, there's draft pick, there's so much attention, attention being paid for the Niner quarterback. It just never stops. But I don't think that's a bad thing. If Sam Darnold plays well, why is that a bad thing? He's on the roster. He's the 49ers quarterback. So I don't I don't really make it about the personalities, the people. It's whoever can run the team the best. And if Sam Darnold is good enough to play winning football, and I think, honestly, you put him in this offense with these players around him, he's never played on offense with a Pro Bowl caliber player, whether it was in New York or <laughs> he, like he had McCaffrey in Carolina, yeah. but Christian was hurt a lot. Now he's got the real deal, CMC. He's never had, you break the huddle now, he's got an all-pro fullback, an all-pro halfback, an all-pro tight end, an all-pro wide receiver who can play running back, an all-pro left tackle, and the guy who's been the MVP of the last two off-seasons who's about to go off, in his words, Brandon Ayuk. So he can he can run this at a high level. So I'm not into – I don't have favorites. I don't look at anything, but they can win with any of them. So if Sam Darnold can play winning quarterback, that's great, whether he does it from two or three or, or whatever. But, you know, this team is – they got to brace themselves for being able to – having to play all of them, including Brandon Allen. So you want as many winning quarterbacks as you can. Trey started four games. He's two and two. I know Sam's record hasn't been great, but 55 starts, you put him on this team. Brandon Allen's made nine starts, and Brock, as I said, has never lost when he started and finished a game in the NFL. So that may be something you talk about as a columnist, and then what do they do with Trey if he is the third? But to me, you want all the quarterbacks to play well. You want to have depth at every position, and you certainly want to be deep at the most important position in sports. Hey, were you aware of their interest in Philip Rivers at the end of last season? You know, Kyle mentioned it to me, and he's mentioned it again. Uh, it was serious. There's no question. Like they were talking to Philip Rivers. How were you aware of that? Was is that possibility was it floating around for you? No, I did not know about that at all. I heard about Roethlisberger. I think in the off season. Um, I you know you're talking about the timeline of when Jimmy got hurt. Yep. And now because Jimmy gets hurt, Brock was the backup. Now Brock's the starter. And you got to bring in a guy to be the backup that's not in the building. So they brought in Josh Johnson, who they had in the building before, but it was during the pandemic year, and Harbaugh had him. It was uh, it was different, and he had been around a number of places, and they liked him, but you know he hadn't played much. Uh, then you have Rivers there, so that was just you know what do we do if Brock gets hurt? Yep. And then uh, I was more locked in on Jimmy trying to come back and i think there was a time there when jimmy was seeking out all, all all forms of remedy to come back even the uh the bone healer medication for health we had talked about and there was a time there where i thought jimmy was coming back i thought he had a boot on his foot but he was throwing the ball in practice and you know how that quick release and no stride he would do it after practice and i thought he, he's coming back and then uh there's something you know I, when you Talked to him in Vegas during the joint practices, the guys, the members of the media. He didn't come right out and say he had a setback. 
But I, I don't know if he did or didn't, but I kind of got a vibe that he did because at one point I thought he was starting to ramp it up and he would come back. And then he just kind of, it, it just went away. So I, I think, uh, and I'm not sure if it was the championship game or the Super Bowl, but whatever the, the situation, he was, uh, uh, he had a setback at some point. And I think they were talking to Rivers at that time. And then, you know, Kyle's mind went to Rivers if they somehow could have won this, uh, the, the championship game with Josh Johnson. But no, I was not aware of it. Uh, that was something I think John and Kyle and Adam Peters said, because you got to have a backup plan, you know, contingency plan, what have. But uh, the, the name Rivers never came up to me. I'd heard about that. How would you characterize Kyle and Jimmy's relationship there in the last few months that, from what you could tell? You know, I don't know. You wrote about it extensively the other day. Um, Kyle's hard on quarterbacks. He's hard on them. He demands a lot. Uh, Jimmy is a guy that was there very briefly in 2017, you know, did almost the impossible. To me, it took a, a one in 10 team and rattled off five straight wins. I didn't think that team was capable. And Kyle changed things. He changed the uh, the playbook considerably to accommodate him. Um you know, went to more shotgun stuff where Jimmy played at Eastern Illinois in college. So, you know, Kyle's demanding. Um, I think there were times Jimmy frustrated him, but I think there were times he he recognized his ability. Um, so that's you know, I he went when they went out and played together, and Jimmy was was uh, healthy. Um, it, it worked well, obviously, with the one loss record and what he was able to accomplish. But I think they're, you know, Kyle can be demanding on quarterbacks. He can be demanding on, on wide receivers. Really, everybody. He calls everybody out in his own way. Um, so I don't know. I, I, you could sense the times there was an edge to it, and then there were times where they gelled. So they made it work. Um, the bottom line is Jimmy got hurt uh, enough or too much. I don't blame that on Jimmy. Honestly, I think that's. Uh, and that's why I think he'll fit in better with the Raiders' offense. He hangs in the pocket where Derek just wouldn't stay in there after he got hurt by Trent Cole on that Christmas Eve game. Jimmy will stand in there and take a hit. You know, look at how he tore his ACL in Kansas City. He had a chance to get out of bounds. It was a third and ten or third and whatever. It was going to be fourth down and long, and you know he cut back in the field to play to take on Stephen Nelson in the corner, and he tore his ACL this last injury against Miami, you know, and some of it was protection, uh, which could, you know, uh, frustrate a head coach. Uh, do they get the right protection in? Uh, but there was a block missed and Miami had a free hitter and Jimmy was hit back on, you know, outside the 35 yard line, the plus 35. Jimmy knew he had to get inside that 35 to get Robbie gold, a chance to make a field goal. It was seven, nothing Miami at the time. And, he put himself back in the harm's way and he wound up with the foot injury and he's out. So, um, you know, there are things like that where, you know, Jimmy just being a football player, that linebacker mentality that he always played with, um, uh, just got himself in the harm's way. I don't, I don't blame Jimmy like everybody else for getting hurt. Uh, it's a tough physical game. The other team is trying to hurt the quarterback or knock him down hard. So, but I think, you know, in time, everybody may be honest about it at some time. I think it was a complicated relationship but you know outside of Brock Purdy arriving here Tim there's no quarterback that that uh, they were able to win with Jimmy Garoppolo took this team from one and ten to a winning team and then you Jimmy gets hurt you wind up getting Nick Bosa 
And now all of a sudden you're you're playing in a championship game every year. Uh, you mentioned Las Vegas, the joint practices last week, the game Las Vegas. Pop, I know there was some conversation about you returning to uh, Raiders. It was not returning to their different headquarters, but uh, – any hug it, hugging out with anybody on the Raiders? You and you and Mark Davis uh, have any conversations? No, we were quite quite the opposite. So I uh, I was looking forward to it uh, because of spending time in Vegas, uh, reconnecting with with uh, people that I've known for a long time, and also the element of Jimmy Garoppolo uh, to come you know be around Jimmy and the irony of him not being the Raider quarterback. So and I you know the first preseason game is always a difficult one to broadcast because you don't have video on the other team. So it was going to be great to have a joint practice with them and be able to see their players and be as well prepared for a first preseason game as I've ever been. And the reality is, first of all, there was an obstacle put up with me doing my radio show from the practice field there in Vegas in Henderson. Last year when we went to Egan, I did my radio show right off the field. Minnesota, yeah. Minnesota, in Egan, Minnesota. This year, I reached out to them right away about doing it from the practice field at Henderson. And um, let, let's see if we can work it out. And then it was, we don't have enough space for you. <laughs> uh, they got three outdoor fields, a 60-yard indoor field. They've got nothing but space. They have a, a building dedicated to the Raider Rats there, which is fabulous. Uh, literally, football's fabulous females. Mm. So there wasn't a lack of space. Um, they just weren't going to cooperate. So that was fine. But then the night before the first joint practice, I got a notification that I am not allowed to to roam the fields the way every other game broadcaster is, whether it's play-by-play or, or analysts. Uh, they were all allowed to do that but me. And I was put in an area that was uh, just for the media. Um, so I did not have the typical free reign that I've had throughout my years doing this, both with the Raiders and the Niners. So they restricted my access. Um, it came directly from the top of the organization. And it was it was unsettling. It was uh, really, it made me sad after being with them for 21 years and being you know so aligned with Mr. Davis and the organization for so long. I used to watch practice in his golf cart when he was not able to, to move around. So to be restricted by, in this way, it made me sad, you know, to work with an organization for so long and then when to go back and to be obviously singled out in this manner. And I remember when they let me go, uh, Mark called me and his last line was, once a Raider, always a Raider. And we hung up on that note. So the reality is that's not true. Uh, it's once a Raider, never a Raider again when you're true and you, they view you as a traitor is the way you'd have to look at it for whatever reason. I thought we had it left on better terms, but it didn't go that way. So uh, there were a lot of emotions that came out when that happened, Tim, but mainly it made me sad. It made me sad to give so much of my life, 21 years in my profession was just, wow, how did this ever get to this point? What did I, what did I do to be treated this way? So you're saying Tim Ryan, the analyst, was allowed more access than you were? Jim had full reign. Uh, there was no restriction on him. He roamed as he always does, and I always do. And I made the best of it. Actually, it was interesting because I, you know, I knew I had about. I, I was notified the night before, so I brought binoculars. I was up on the. I went up on the bleachers, the top row, and I could see over all the fields. So uh, where a lot of the guys had obstructed view, because players brought blocked them on the sideline. I, I was able to prepare 
somewhat. It wasn't like I could stand right on the field like I was in Egan. And I stood with Mike Shanahan and watched Brock Purdy run the second team offense ahead of Nate Sudfeld and to move the ball period and stood right there and watched it. A uh, different vantage point to get a clear look at it. But I was able to make do by the, uh, the use of the binoculars and a little elevation. But no, Tim had had full roam of the field. It wasn't uh, all nine or broadcasters are restricted in this way. It's just one was, and they, they singled me out. Not great. I mean, it's it's not surprising from the Raiders and Mark, but uh, not great. That you, uh, one thing I've always been interested in your relationship with Al. We we know you were close to him. Would you sit in his office and just talk? What what was the manner of your conversations with Al? Like normally? Yeah, I uh, not in his office much, but I was in there uh, towards the end of his life. So uh, we would watch practice together. Um, he called me, you know, later in his life when he was ill and not immobile, couldn't be at practice physically. He'd call me and get a report on practice. Uh, towards the end of his life, he was living at the Hilton. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually took two or three rooms and knocked some walls out, the Oakland Airport Hilton, sure. you know, right by uh, the Alameda facility. And he lived there. So I would go there quite often and visit with him. At the end of his life, well, I shouldn't say his end of his life. Um, when he turned 80, was also the um, 50th anniversary of the American Football League. And if you remember, there were a lot of stories being done. And uh, there was that great documentary, uh, what was it called? Living Color Football. And John Madden was in on that. And they did like a, a several-part documentary on the American Football League. And he didn't like the way that came out. He thought a lot of uh, uh, misinformation was being given. He was not cooperative with that. So this all happened when he turned 80. So what he wanted, what we did, and I went into his office for, for this time, we did a lot of long-form interviews, a lot, a lot of topics on everything, the AFL, the merger, coming back to the Raiders, and then the the hot points that, um, that were most powerful was his relationship with Lamar Hunt, uh, Pete Rozelle, Mike Shanahan, uh, and then Marcus Allen. Uh, he gave me a book to read where he tried to explain what his relationship was with Marcus. And um, What was the book? Um, I got it in the trunk of my car. It was an Italian attorney. Hmm. Uh, I, I don't want to get into it too much because it'll, <laughs> it'll cut me. Um, but he was going to he was prepared one day to open up on camera and um, tell why he had a problem with Marcus. And um, John Madden got to him and said, you know, you should be doing this on Sunday Night Football. I'll get you an interview with Bob Costas and you can tell the world the story then. And he just wasn't. The bottom line was he, he backpedaled. He wouldn't tell the story. He did tell me the story uh, or a lot of it. And then I, I challenged him on it and uh, he got, you know, he would, we had a great relationship, but he would, you know, like my father, he'd snap at me and yell at me, you know, what you're talking about. You don't know the whole story. Well, what's the whole story? Oh, I'm not going to tell you the whole story. I can't tell you the whole story. So it was a lot of that. But as it relates to, you know, why my relationship with the Raiders ended badly, he wound up, we, we did not release these interviews. We released some of them on an audio form, partly because he didn't look good physically. You know, he had 
band-aids all over his face and his skin and you know he didn't have used the terrible muscular disease that he had didn't allow him to you know he would the way he held a, a drinking glass was he had to use all four fingers to get him around it was just he didn't look photogenic um his voice quality was weak he wound up writing a book he also wanted me to write a book with him but he wound up farming that out to a guy in L.A., and some of these stories came out. But the bottom line was he uh, he confided in me um, a lot of things that were very private to him that he took to his grave. And at, at times I wondered, after he died, obviously, why did he tell me all that? What did he, what did he want me to do with it? And um, I, I, I partly I think he wanted me to defend him. But whether or not he did, I feel obligated to. And there are other people that know these stories. I'm sure John Herrera, John Kingdon, uh, people that were with him his whole life until the end. But I'm a broadcaster, so I, I get put in situations where five minutes before my radio show it becomes public that the Raiders are interviewing Mike Shanahan to be the head coach of the team. But I knew about that a week and a half before, and I had a problem with it the moment I heard of it, because I knew how Al would feel about that. But when the Raiders brought Marcus back to light his torch, I knew how Al would feel about that. And it's not like this is 32. The torch symbolized Al Davis's life. As I say, you know, his mortal enemies to his grave were, I don't know if he ever passed it up with Lamar Hunt, but he had great animosity for the Chiefs. The way, uh, you know, when he came back, the merger that was created that he was not bored with, when Lamar made the deal with Roselle, Al didn't, didn't agree with that. Um, obviously, his relationship with Roselle, his relationship with Mike Shanahan, and his relationship with Marcus. And because he confided in me uh, very personally, I, I just, when these things came up, and I never knew when he, when he died, that Marcus Allen and Mike Shanahan's stories would come up, but they did. And I felt compelled as... Uh, someone he confided in to protect him. I had his back. And I just didn't think it was right that any of these things were occurring. And um, I had a, a, a forum to, you know, voice my displeasure. I knew about it. You know, the, the Shanahan interview for a week and a half, never said a word. And then when it, it became public knowledge, five minutes before my radio show, I had to speak my mind because I wasn't on board with it. I thought it was... Uh, I thought it was distasteful on every level, and I still do. And that's uh, so that's where it, that's where it ended with the Raiders. So, you know, to answer your question about going into his office, I did more at the end of his life, and it was fascinating office. The the memorabilia he had, and there all the people that he eulogized, you know, and then you know Lance Allworth. It was just amazing. So anyway, he had an amazing life, but um, because he he brought me into that inner circle, and he didn't have very many people at the end of his life that were. Mm -hmm invited it put them on one hand then when things came up that you know the current ownership which is his family it's his son and his wife it's not like sold the team to other people and they could do whatever they wanted it was you know the people closest to him when these things happened i i felt as though no one else has this guy's back i'm gonna have his back i'm gonna defend him we could talk on and on about this, and I think we will pop, but maybe not on this podcast. I want to don't have taken plenty of your time. It's been great. I had other questions, but I will finish this with a version of a question I've asked you before. I asked all my guests at the end. Pop, what's your favorite movie right now? 
Well, you ask me that all the time, and you ask my favorite book or my favorite restaurant. As far as the eating, and I'm in full training camp mode, so I'm not going bougie, Kawakami, French laundry. <laughs> the last yeah, 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 that's neat. They're in the South Bay. There is an Italian deli down there. La Via was the original name of it when it opened in 1947. And then the Verticelli's family, and they're Italian, so i got to pronounce this name right. It's Dave. Patty, Trisha, and I just met Chris Verticelli that owned this uh, kind of a bodega. It's an Italian market. It's right in the Willow Glen area of San Jose. And I go there after every practice now. I go there right after the radio show before walkthrough at night, and I get something different every time, and they are the best. So if you want something a little extraordinary, an Italian deli, La Via was the original name. And the uh, the uh, Verticelli's bought it, uh, I think, in the 80s. Gourmet Italian Deli in Willow Glen. And they also cater to the Niners. Yes. Uh, the Debo goes down there all the time. Jimmy Ward was there a lot. Um, I'd like it to be on the plane when we travel. I think Kyle likes Chick-fil-A. Are you kidding me? We got to have Italian Deli. So I, I do, if you're in the Willow Glen area, you been there, Tim, or not? You got to go to La Vida. Uh, well, uh, Staley bought us all those sandwiches one one year. Right. It was pretty. It was pretty good. <laughs> go there yourself. I'm going to go there right now and I get done with you. So, I by the way, day. Pop so, tells me before the show, ask him his favorite movie, and then he completely changes the topic when I ask the question. By the way, he makes fun of me for it. Highbrow Kawakami bougie dinner. This just you know real Italian deli. So I had to get that in. Do um, not associate me with the French Laundry, please. I do not um, want to be associated with that one. <laughs> I, I kind of do, but I do it anyway. Um, have you seen Barbie? Have you I have seen not the movie? Se I have not seen Barbie. I do want to see it, though. I do want to see it. Have you seen it? I actually, I saw it right away. I wanted, yeah. to, I wanted to do the, the Barbenheimer and go Barbie, the yeah. Oppenheimer, but it took so long. I am going to see Oppenheimer, you know, once the training, once our preseason's over. But I did see Barbie, and basically, you would for all the reasons... I would say to see it are not the reasons you would think. I did wear a pink shirt when I went. I did have a Barbie doll there with the dog in there. Um, I like Alan, obviously, more than Ken. But anyway, <laughs> um, I'm, a, I'm a father of three daughters. Yep. And the movie, the, 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 the script, it's whatever you think it's going to be. I thought it was going to be a musical. Um, there's some of that, but it's a powerful story about being a woman. In the world we live in and you know back in the 60s when barbie came into being and just being a father of three and dealing with we, they all had barbie dolls and my sister had barbie dolls but it's way more than that and the, you know there's 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 bad barbie and evil barbie and barbie barbie the bond barbie it's just a poignant story about the trials and tribulations of being a woman being a young girl trying to be perfect and realizing i'm not going to be perfect what is perfect and just all the way when Barbie comes to real life and, you know, what she has to deal with. So I, to me, it was more the screenplay and the depth of the writing of it. And it was well done. Um, she's a brilliant actress, obviously, uh, Margot Robbie. But I, it was, it was, it was more, it just hit me uh, as being a father of three daughters that are now in their, you know, twenties and thirties and going through it all. So um, it's maybe not be for everybody, but I, I saw that movie all by myself, texted my daughters through it, uh, out it, and it just hit me. So um, 
I think you would like it, Tim. It's, yeah, it's well, I think well, well, Greta Gerwig is a very, very talented director too. So, and this, they just the, the screenplay, the story behind that Barbie doll is this way more than just about playing Barbies. It's it's a great story about you know being a baby to a young woman to a a grown woman to an old woman. Yeah, aging, right? Aging is part of it. I heard so. It's yeah, horrible. It's, it's a it's a great screenplay. That's a great way to end this, Pop. I do appreciate this, and you've driven safely. I was a little worried for you, but. All good. Do whatever the hell you want to after you sign up. No, be safe. Drive safely. I'm going to get Chris's special at Roberta Celli's. There I'm you going. go. There you go. I've had that. I have not been. I've had Joe Staley's bought me that sandwich, and I don't. I've had to try to explain what is. We, I don't quite know what the meat is. I'm, I don't understand, but it just tastes good. In Italian, we call it gabagool. It's just ground up pork and that kind they of thing. Yeah. Every possible Italian cold cut. But they go, I mean, the panini that I had yesterday, a Philly cheesesteak panini, I normally go in whatever the special is that day. And then Chris gave me a little ravioli to take home, which I'm, I think I'm going to hit that tonight. What was the, what, what's the great uh, delicatessen like that in Napa? I used to go there for Raiders camp, right? There's a good delicatessen like that. Well, you got Taylor's Refreshers, mm-hmm. the I place that became God's Roadside. Okay. I mean, you got, you know, Don Bistro Giovanni, which was... I think that... Great well, no, yeah, I've, I've eaten there, actually, by the way. Well, They've eaten... Eating there with, with Carmen policies I've eaten there with. So I've, I've, I've done that one up. Now, Taylor's Refreshers is more of the outdoor East Coast, you know, kind of the original In-N-Out, McDonald's. Well, there's a, well we don't, yeah, we, we, I'm going to end this, but yeah, there, there was an Italian deli there that I, I know was really good, and I can't remember it now. But, was it uh, in Yardville? Where was it? Where was yeah, it? I mean, it was close to camp. I went there with Steve Corcoran and other people, so uh, I can't remember it now. But but it's not like Berticelli's. No, uh, via the uh, Joe special, uh, it's, uh, it's a damn good sandwich. Four yeah. Niners, you will see Four Niners people if you go there. That I know. I know Four Niners people. That is their deli. All right, Pop, thank you for the time. Thank you so much for being the show. Thank you, Timmy. Everybody, that's the show for today.